Mark chapter 4 from verse 35. On the same day, when evening had come, he said to them, Let us cross over to the other side. Now when they had left the multitude, they took him along in the boat as he was. And other little boats were also with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves beat into the boat so that it was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on a pillow. And they awoke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Then he arose and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. But he said to them, Why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? And they feared exceedingly and said to one another, Who can this be that even the wind and the sea obey him? Let's pray once more. Lord God, thank you for your word that we have just read. As we come to study it together now, we pray that you would work in our hearts and minds, grant us true understanding, and may what we learn today not just be knowledge that sits in our heads, but goes into our hearts, our hands, and our feet, that we might live fully for you in all that we do. This is in Christ's name. Amen. You're in over your head. Anyone ever been told that? You're in over your head? I've been told that a lot. I feel like I'm told that a little bit less as I get older. But I've been told many, many times in my life, Callum, you are in over your head. I have good friends who will hold me to account with this and tell me that when they think I've bitten off more than I can chew, normally there's a bit of laughter involved, but also a sense of, what have you done to yourself? You goose. It's a phrase we're familiar with. Maybe some of us are more familiar with it than others, either on the giving or the receiving end of it means that we're not going to be able to do well in our circumstances. We've bitten off more than we can chew. We're swimming on the deep end, we don't actually know how to swim. We get in situations where it is beyond our ability to sort it out. Sometimes we get in over our head because we make unwise decisions. Sometimes we get into these situations because we live in a world that is just tainted by sin, we find ourselves in really, really tough spots. Tuesday, the 3rd of May this year, Anna and I found ourselves in a situation where, to put it mildly, we were in over our heads. Anna woke up around midnight to feed Zara, who was a few hours short of being 10, 10 days old, and felt an incredible pain, just weakness, all through her body. She was just really off. By 3 o'clock, Anna couldn't move and was starting to shake. This is 3 a.m. By 4 a.m., Anna was in the hospital, uh, in the ambulance going to hospital. Now, over the course of the day, Anna continued to get sicker and sicker. Uh, she was put on three fairly broad-spectrum antibiotics, but they were doing nothing against the, it turned out to be three infections that her body was battling. I was tucked off in the corner of the room different hospital rooms as we were moved around holding Zara, doing what I could to look after her. By 8pm that night, Anna had a really, really bad turn in her health. We had eight doctors and three midwives rush into the room for an emergency medical call. They managed to stabilise Anna, but we were told you can't get much closer to dying and walk away from it than that. Now, this isn't a sob story. And it's not about me either, but where was I? Again, I was stuck in the corner of our little hospital room holding our daughter. A couple of hours after, we were told that Anna had 
come as close to dying as you possibly could, I was given a bunch of formula to feed Zara overnight and sent home. Now, the hospital, there just wasn't space for me there. They weren't doing anything wrong. This isn't a dig at the hospital. Anna needed rest. I needed to take Zara home as how it was. But I left to drive home knowing Anna wasn't quite out of the woods. All sorts of questions about whether we would even see each other the next day were going through my head. We knew that she had been stabilised for the time by God's grace, but would that last? Now, as a husband, one of the roles is to provide for your family. It's to lead your family, it's to protect your family. I couldn't protect my wife in this situation, who after God is my number one priority in life. I was helpless. Now, again, this isn't a sob story, this is a point. There's a point to this. And the point is that I really was helpless. We just read in Mark 4, 35 to 41. We read about a scene that unfolds there where there are a bunch of dudes in a boat with Jesus. These guys are not unfamiliar with being on the water, with how to control a boat. We've seen as we've worked through Mark's Gospel that at least four of these guys were seasoned fishermen. They knew how to survive on this body of water. They knew how to be safe on this body of water. They knew how to make a profit from this body of water. Instead, while they're crossing to the other side of the sea, we're told that a massive windstorm came up and frothed up the sea. The waves beat on the boat and they beat into the boat. This is a dire situation. Perhaps the fishermen among the 12 disciples who were in the boat with Jesus felt the way that I did, helpless. Felt like we have a job to do. We know how to do stuff on this water. We know how to survive We should be able to get out of this, but we just can't do anything. They found themselves in a situation where they they desperately needed help. Not unlike myself on the 3rd of May and Anna, and not unlike many spots that many of us have found ourselves in. Now, when I say they need help, I think we distort the word help and have a scope of meaning to it a lot of the time. If you help someone move house, you're speeding up the process, but it's a job they can probably do on their own, albeit just a little bit slower. But people chip in, get the job done quicker, it's help. The help that we're talking about in these situations, the help we're talking about in Mark chapter 4 is absolute. It is complete help, it is total help. They are utterly dependent upon help Because these guys in these boats find themselves in a situation where they can do absolutely nothing to influence their situation for the better. This storm has come up. And quite likely you can imagine the panic that's accompanying it. The waves are beating into the boat. Greek is a very directional language. It's not an accident that we have this image of waves not just coming against the boat, but coming into the boat. You can always see the panic of guys running around trying to bail out the water. And while all that's happening, in the stern of the boat, Jesus was sleeping. He was sleeping. He wasn't phased by all of that stuff going on. It seems to be misinterpreted by the 12 who are in the boat with Jesus. 
as Jesus not caring. Look at verse 38. Teacher, don't you care that we are perishing? We are in the middle of perishing. We are in the middle of dying right now is what they're saying. The process has started. Our death is upon us. We're halfway there and you're sleeping. Don't you care? They're done. They have no hope. They've given up. And maybe in their minds they go, this guy in the boat with us, he has healed all sorts of injuries and illnesses. Everyone who's come to him for healing has been healed. He has cast out demons. He has taught with authority. If only he would wake up and put some effort in, if only he would care, maybe we could get through this. If only Jesus cared enough. Now, it would be very easy for us today to look at this and be incredibly critical of the apostles' attitude here. And there's something to be said that's not right in their attitude. But I think we should consider ourselves and our lives and our tough situations we've found ourselves in before we start bashing up these guys. When we face difficulties in life, the storms of life, so to speak, how easy is it to think that we can just do it all on our own and then we get to that point where we realise, no, we, we can't do this. God, why haven't you done anything? Don't you care about us, God? We find ourselves realising that uh, maybe we're not too different. And maybe we haven't turned to God sooner because we think the stuff that we're dealing with is too big for God. It's too big for us, therefore it must be too big for God is how our minds sometimes think. And this is just crazy, but it's where our minds go. What could be too big for an eternal, infinite God? Nothing. Maybe we think it's too small to be noticed by our eternal an infinite God. But this is the promised Messiah. This is a suffering servant who, as we read in the book of Isaiah, would gather his children under his wing like a mother hen would gather her chicks under her wing. This is God who cares about his people. Well, we find ourselves in times of difficulty we find ourselves in times of difficulty in our personal lives in each one of our families i'm sure i know that we have all in our families face incredible difficulties at times as a church we face difficulties and as a denomination we face difficulties i was asked to be a representative of the prc to the westminster presbyterian church's national assembly in October last year, in the first weekend of October, where I gave a report on how we were going as a denomination. We had sadly lost congregations in Pilara and the congregation in Wollongong was in the process of dissolving. But we had five congregations in Australia plus Fiji and no vacancies. A week after that, a, a minister resigned. Go to the third week of October and a second minister resigned. Go to the fourth week of October and a third minister resigned. Not long after that, Wayne Garatta informed us that they were going to, had voted to dissolve after 
Tim had reached that horrible point of burnout that all pastors who work hard for God fear reaching. As a denomination, we now have three congregations in Australia and only one teaching elder. In many ways, our denomination could be seen as a boat that Jesus and the gang were in. The waves were beating into the boat. And beating into the boat is, as I said before, directionally oriented for a reason. It's as bad as you can get in many ways. We find ourselves today facing these circumstances, whether it be personal, family, local church denomination, whether it be in the workplace, all sorts of circumstances. We find ourselves where we realise how desperate we are for God's help. And again, it's not someone just to help lift the other end of the couch while we move. This is somebody to do everything for us because we find ourselves completely and utterly unable to change things for ourselves. We reach these points of crisis personally and sadly we do that more than we would like to. And we reach them on many, many levels. And perhaps when we go through crisis we say, God, don't you care? God, you can do everything. Why haven't you done something here? Don't you care? What we need to remember in all that we do is that God has a great heart for his people. Jesus woke up after this interaction in verse 38. And we see Jesus do an incredible, miraculous thing here. He calms the storm. Now the disciples have said, Jesus, don't you care? Don't you care that we're perishing? Don't you care that we're dying? Don't you care that you could have sorted this out a few minutes ago if only you'd woken up? When somebody is in this situation, it's perhaps easy to to defend ourselves first and to assure people, no, it's going to be okay. How well do you think the the, the disciples would have listened to Jesus at this point in time if Jesus had first gone through a lengthy sermon on, no, it is going to be okay before doing anything? It probably wouldn't have quite got into their heads because they probably still would have been running around trying to bail the water out of the boat going, no, this isn't what we need right now. We need you to do something, not say something. But in doing something, Jesus takes an action that speaks to their hearts. And then he says something which also speaks to their hearts, both the hearts of the disciples and to our hearts today. Peace, be still. This is what Jesus says to the wind and the waves, and they obeyed him. Mark has been building this picture of certainty in our minds that this is not just a man, this is God. God who can and does command all things he commanded this and it was there was peace and there was stillness and it's an amazing thing that not only was there peace but also the stillness is quite a unique phenomenon at the time even today on this body of water where they were when the storm stopped the waves got worse for a while That was a natural pattern. We see a divine act of God here. 
No, with words. Which shouldn't surprise us that Jesus can do this with words if God can create everything by speaking. With words, Jesus calmed the storm and stilled the sea. It is a miraculous thing that we have just read about. It is a miraculous thing that these people with Jesus in those little boats alongside him experienced. And then Jesus says something to his disciples. Why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? And the response, they feared exceedingly, but they weren't scared of the storm or the weather anymore. What they were scared of now is Jesus. Who can this be that even the wind and the sea obey him? That question of why are you fearful should have hit their hearts hard just as it should hit our hearts hard. Even if we don't see the same sort of miracles in the world today, the fact that souls are saved is proof that God is working. Our God does great and mighty things. And he promises, as we said in the children's talk, to be with us, to never leave us or forsake us. So why do we fear? Why do we fear? When we find ourselves fearing things, it's often because we've taken our eyes off of our Lord and Saviour. The storm was calmed and the seas were stilled. What does that mean for us, though? We could really badly take this lesson and say, you know what, no matter what difficulties we face, God will just sort it out like that. It'll all be sorted. Everything will be smooth sailing, as a pun intended, from here on out. Everything is going to be fine. We'll never face any more hiccups in life. And if we do face hiccups in life, God will just smooth the road just like that. That's not what we learn here, is it? There is no guarantee of anything. Humanly speaking, we can't place guarantees on many things. As a presbytery, we've committed to pray and to pray hard, but there is no guarantees that we'll come out of this, these trials we face. We hope and trust to God's goodness, but the, the reality is there's no guarantee of that. When Anna was in hospital, there is no guarantee that she would recover. The stark reality is, for us in that situation, there was no guarantee that Anna would survive. We hold to those promises from Philippians that to live is Christ and to die is gain in those circumstances. There is no guarantee that 
when somebody wrongs us in business and we accrue debts, that those will instantly become more bearable because God is with us. Jesus himself, as I've said many times, tells us that we will face trials, we will face storms, we will face difficulties in life. So what do we have? We have three wonderful things to learn about God. There is a guarantee of three wonderful things about God. The kids can help me with this. God is good, able, and faithful. That God is good, that God is able, and that God is faithful. These are three prominent characteristics about God that come through Scripture. Now, the trap that many Reformed people, and I am very guilty of this, fall into, is we talk about God's holiness and his righteousness and his justice. And those are absolute qualities of God. But sometimes we forget that there is more to God than that. And some of the things spoken about most about God's character in Scripture are that he is good, that he is able, and that he is faithful. We cannot help as we read this event that took place in Mark 4, 35-41. We cannot help but see that God is good. We cannot help but see that God is able. And we cannot help but see that God is faithful. So whatever storms we do face, whether that be personal, family, church, national, global things that cause us distress, it means that we can face those things because God is with us. We may not get the result that we hope for here on this earth, but he has promised us a glorious eternity. And if he is good and he is able, and he is faithful, he has not made that promise in vain. So we don't need to face the things of life living in fear, because God is bigger, and God's incredible love for his children is so abundantly apparent here. And this should make us love him more. It should make us want to tell more people about him, to live for him more. And whatever happens, whether you eat or drink, do it all to the glory of God, who is good, and able, and faithful. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that we've been able to study it now. We thank you that you reveal to us even more assurances that Jesus, our Lord and Saviour, is not just a man. He is divine, that he is God. We rejoice in this and we thank you for this. And we pray, O oh God, that when we find ourselves in times of trouble, that we would turn to you, that we would trust you, knowing that we are yours forever and that you are always good and able and faithful. So help us hold on to these things forever and strengthen us more through your word, we pray, that we might live for you and live out in confidence what we hold to in our hearts. We ask this in Christ's name.